You're now listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church Audio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Put your palms in the air and shake them like you don't care. Woo! Keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's Palm Sunday. (laughs) Welcome to Palm Sunday, everybody. It's one of my favorite times of the year. The whole Easter weekend and the Passion Week leading up to Easter. It is just an amazing time to celebrate the victory that Jesus accomplished on the cross. So welcome to Palm Sunday. Welcome to uh, our service today. Thanks to Vic and Steph for uh, providing us some worship from your home. I appreciate that and we appreciate that very much. Thanks to our online team that's here helping and uh, putting this all together. Appreciate you guys very much. Palm Sunday and the story of Palm Sunday is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, I want to read the Luke version, the Luke passage, and uh, just to talk to you today, uh, my my title is Lessons from Palm Sunday. And so let's get right into it today. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, it says this, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in, close in on you from side, from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. This is one of the great stories. And let me just say, here it is, Jesus walking in or riding in on this donkey and the crowd 
goes wild and they're shouting Hosanna and they're giving him praise. And five days later, this, the very same crowd, very, uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people who were shouting praise, five days later did this. This is what happened in Matthew 27. This is what it says. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. And Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. And as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. And Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. This is an amazing story and a, and a huge turn of events. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28 that we read, it really marks the beginning of Passion Week. And that's the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And it begins there uh, in Luke 19, and it goes all the way until the end of chapter 23. And then the resurrection begins in uh, chapter 24. And the Passion Week sort of goes something like this. Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's today, Palm Sunday. On Monday, he cleanses the temple and he drives out all the merchants. Tuesday, he has some issues uh, and some disagreements with the Jewish leaders. Wednesday seems to be sort of a day of rest, but he also does some teaching at the temple. Thursday is the prep day for Passover. Friday is his trial and crucifixion and his death. Saturday, he's in the tomb. And then Sunday, he rises from the dead. And that is every day, uh, basically what happens during this Passion Week. Now, last year, some of you might remember when we were meeting together, and we will again, we will again. But last year on Palm Sunday, when we looked at this story, we focused on the theme of praise. And uh, my title was When Jesus Comes to Town and how when Jesus comes to town, the right response is praise. And we waved palm branches and we had a good time together. And uh, it was a great, great service. I remember it very well. This year, I wanted to look at this story again and I just wanted to pull out three lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday. So here it is, lesson 
Number one is this. We must be Christ-centered, not self-centered. So Jesus rides into a town on a donkey. And the crowds begin to praise with great joy and great excitement. And it's, it's incredible uh, just to imagine that just five days later, these, much of these same people that are crying out, Hosanna, save us, save us now, are now shouting, crucify him. Something has drastically changed. What, what has gone on and why would people do that in a matter of five days? It's clear, really clear that all the praise that was happening and that was being done towards Jesus on Palm Sunday was not sincere. And as Jesus rode into town that day, many people were praising him, but they were, they were doing it with a self-centered reason. And, uh, and let, let me explain. The people loved the miracles that he was doing. They loved the fact that he was doing these great things. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. The lame were walking. The blind were seeing. Jesus was healing all these people. Demons were being cast out. People were being set free and they loved it. They were praising him for the things that he was doing, things that they wanted and they were giving him praise for that. In John 6, it actually goes on to say, right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, he actually said to the crowd, you are following me only because I fed you. Could you imagine? But that's why they were, they were following him that day. And it, uh, so there was clearly a reason they were giving him praise because they were doing, he was doing things that they wanted. There was another reason, I think, that they were praising him that day. And it was because they thought that he was coming to be their political savior. Hosanna means save or save now. And they were crying out to him to be their political savior. That they, he, he was going to be the one, at least in their minds, that was going to free them from the Romans and deliver them from the tyranny and the oppression that they were under. They wanted to be set free. And so their praise was filled with this attitude of, what can you do for me? Not as sincere as it should have been. And, and a few days later, literally five days later, now they're gathered in front of Pilate's house and all they see is a man who was supposed to be king in their eyes, but now he's beaten, he's defeated, He's, he's, he's not who they thought he was. He doesn't look like the king anymore riding into town. That, those days are long over. And now he seems like he's beaten and useless and worthless. And they seem not to care if he gets crucified or not. And they were easily swayed by the religious leaders to do so. You see, as believers, we've got to understand that we have to place his will, and his priorities above our own. We are to be Christ-centered, not self-centered. He, Jesus himself, said, pray like this. Your, he said, pray to the Father, your kingdom come and your will be done. And we're called to put our faith and our trust in him, that he's a good father, that he knows what he's doing. We are to die to our selfish wants and desires, and we're to recognize him as king. We're to recognize him as Lord, as ruler, as master over our lives, that he is the one that we serve. We don't serve ourselves anymore. We serve him. We are Christ-centered. We have been bought with a high 
price and our lives now belong to him. And this weekend, heading into Passion Week and Easter, it so powerfully reminds us that he has given us everything, everything. That he gave his life for us, and now we are to give our lives for him. We are Christ-centered, not self-centered. And Palm Sunday very powerfully, I think, reminds us that the crowd was focused on the wrong thing. And we need to learn a lesson that being Christ-centered is the way to live. Lesson number two, we must be stable and not trendy. We must be stable and not trendy. So many people are praising that day because it was the popular thing to do. It was, shall I say, the trendy thing to do. There's this large group of people. They're all praising and, and laying their coats on the road and waving palm branches. And so people go, hey, well, why not? I might as well join in too. It seemed like it was the thing to do at the time. And then literally, like I said earlier, later at the trial in front of Pilate, the popular thing to do or the trendy thing to do was now to shout, crucify him. Imagine for a moment, just think about it. I know some of us have heard this story many times, but just think about it in a fresh way today. Imagine for a moment in time, the popular thing to do was to release a murderer, a criminal, back into your own town and to let Jesus, who was your hero five days ago, be crucified. It's mind-boggling, but yet it happened. See, our faith and our commitment to the Lord, it's got to be better than that. We are stable, not trendy people. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. God does not change. And we are called to trust in him. We are called to put our faith in him and to not waver in that faith. We can't let our circumstances dictate to us if we're going to serve him or not. Listen, we know that life sometimes gets hard. It gets difficult. A lot of us are going through a difficulty right now. Trials are going to come, but we must walk with strength. We must walk with stability. This is who we are as believers. You know, you think about this. Believers are actually called to swim upstream. Think about that. Salmon swim against the current to reach their home. And we must also Swim against the current until God calls us home. See, it's not super trendy right now in some circles to serve God. But that, that shouldn't sway us. And those of us who have personally encountered Jesus, we know better. He has changed us. He's saved us. He's loved us. He has helped us time and time again. He is the light of the world. He's the hope of every nation. He is still the truth. He is still the way. And he is still the answer that the world so desperately needs. Somebody said, come on now. If you have a personal relationship with him, remember, today your life is built on the rock. And the winds and the storms and the trials of life may come, but they will not blow you over. You are stronger than that. You are better than that. You are a person who swims upstream. You're a person with tough, committed character. We are to be a people of faith 
and a people of stability. We don't change our praise because something else becomes more popular. We don't shout Hosanna and then five days later shout crucify him. We're a lot better than that. And this story reminds us of who we are in Christ. We are solid, stable people. And we don't change with the trends that come and go across our world. If you don't have him in your life, you can invite him in today. He's a difference maker. He's a way maker. And he is a profound source of joy and strength. He can be yours today. So that's lesson two. We've got to be stable and not trendy. Number three, we must not miss our opportunities. In Luke chapter 19 that we read uh, right towards the end in verse 44, it says that the people, Jesus said, the, he, he was weeping because he said the people had missed their greatest opportunity. They had missed their moment of visitation. That God in the flesh was right before them and they missed it. They missed that opportunity. And it got me thinking about missed opportunities in our lives. Like think about through your life, the older you get sometimes, the more you look back and you see all the opportunities that you missed. Have you ever missed one? I've missed a few. I was just thinking, uh, actually it was funny, but I was just thinking this week about an opportunity that Helen and I missed. It was years ago now, but there was a house in a town that we were moving to that we really liked, but this house was way over our budget. And so we moved on and we didn't make an offer. We loved the house, but said, oh, we could never afford that. Never made an offer and we moved on. And you could imagine that this is what happened. After we bought another house, we found out that the house that we really liked sold for the same price that we bought our house for. And we were like, ah, we missed it. We should have made an offer. We missed that opportunity. So it was a missed opportunity for us. And let me tell you, it was a mistake that we have never repeated since. The worst opportunity that any of us could ever possibly miss is to miss out on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus wept that day. And yet you have to know it was sincere. We only see him weeping just a couple of times in scripture. And this is one of them. He wept that day over people who were missing the opportunity. They were missing out on what he was trying to offer to them. And believers, we can mess out. We can miss out on things that God wants for us too. We can miss doing something that he wants us to do. And it reminded me of a scripture in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and it says this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive 
so that you will have the right response for everyone. Paul is writing this to the Colossian church. He's saying, I don't want to miss any opportunity. And he's encouraging us not to miss opportunities. I know that there's probably a lot of reasons why we miss opportunities. Sometimes we're afraid when something presents itself and it seems too big, too, too, too hard, and so we back away. Sometimes we miss out because we're scared or sometimes we miss out because we, we simply don't care enough. Sometimes an opportunity is there and we go, ah, whatever, who cares? You know, that kind of an attitude. Sometimes we're just too dull to see it. We're just sleeping at the wheel and we miss something that we could have grabbed. Paul asked the Colossians here to pray that God would give him many opportunities. And he says, pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So you see a couple of things. Prayer is a key. He says it it opens up doors of opportunities that you would never get without it. So praying, praying for an opportunity is a key. Pray for it and then look for it. But he also says this that I think a lot of people miss. In verse 2, he says, pray with an alert mind. This is important because he is saying, he's saying, listen, when you pray, pray, uh, you know, uh, pray in an alert way, meaning stay alert, stay awake. And, the, you know, we see in the Bible, watch and pray, right? Watch and pray. We pray, he's saying, pray with some energy. Pray with some awareness. Be alive when you pray. Don't let it be dull, but be, be alert. Be on top of it. Be right on your game when you're praying. May that be how we pray. I read this quote, actually, a while ago from C.S. Lewis, and he said, he said this. He said, no one with any sense would reserve serious prayer for bedtime. And I, I laughed when I read that. Nobody with any sense would reserve serious prayer for bedtime. And, and I think we know why. It's like we have a lot of things, and then we lay in bed and we go, Lord, I bless you. You know, and it's gone. He says, come on, that's not how you're to pray. David actually said in Psalm chapter 5, he said, I lay my requests before you and then I wait with expectation. He's staying alert. That is staying alert in prayer. Waiting, watching, staying alert, staying thankful, waiting for the opportunity to come, waiting for the answer to arrive, looking for it and, and not missing the opportunity when it comes your way. The people on Palm Sunday missed an incredible opportunity. And we are reminded not to make the same mistake. We must make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every one. So let me just quickly remind you, let's be Christ-centered and not self-centered. Let's be stable and not trendy. And let's make the most of every opportunity. Those are three really good lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday. If you're watching me today and listening and you don't know the Lord, you have an opportunity to know him. He loves you dearly. 
He wants to have a relationship with you. There are people, many people, many good people. You would be surprised at how many people actually have a relationship with Jesus. Our church one day is going to be full of them again. And there are people all over the world who love Jesus and know that he has made a difference in our lives. And so I can't just close off today without offering anybody that's out there and might be listening, don't miss your opportunity to find Jesus. He died for you on the cross and he's worth at least some time to look into him, to check him out, to see how legit this is and to see if he can actually make a difference in your life. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. And so if you go after him with a sincere heart, he will sincerely come after you. And so I encourage us all today, whether you are a believer in Christ, look for the opportunities that will come your way. And if you're not a believer, you have an opportunity today to meet him. Our church website is there with a prayer request, with connect cards. You can always connect with us online in these days of the global pandemic. We will reach out and we will contact you and do our best to stay in touch. As we close today, I wanted to, I wanted to read what is called the priestly blessing. And it's found in Numbers chapter 6. And I have my Bible here and I, I just wanted to read it and to bless you with this. It says, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. Then he said, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people in my name, I myself will bless them. And so occasionally in church, I will read this and I will say to everyone, are you ready for the blessing? And people say, yes, amen. Are you ready for the blessing out there? It's this. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord smile on you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor. And may he give you his peace. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including events, ministries, and service time, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast store, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.